You're listening to The Bridge, a podcast on stories of courage, resilience, and innovation with me, Linda Fadrizi Williams, the president of Central Penn College. Welcome to The Bridge Podcast, where we hear stories of courage, resilience, and innovation from our guests. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Fadrizi Williams, the president of Central Penn College, and I am so excited for today's guest because we are speaking to a Central Penn College graduate who embodies what it is to be a student at Central Penn. Kirsten Gulata is a principal in the New York City office of Deloitte Tax LLP, where she helps businesses in a variety of industries with indirect tax matters nationwide. In addition to her client service responsibilities, she serves as the U.S. indirect tax practice leader. This practice provides consulting, refund reviews, compliance, severance, and property tax services to a diversified client base. In this role, she has overall responsibility for operations, marketplace, and talent matters occurring throughout the country. Kirsten earned her Bachelor of Science degree from Central Penn College and her Juris Doctorate from Widener University School of Law, where she graduated as valedictorian. Please join me in welcoming Kirsten Gulata. Kirsten, it's so nice to have you here today on the Bridge Podcast. Uh, recently reread your article in the Pendulum magazine, and I'm so impressed with what you've accomplished. I'm so happy that you're here to talk to Central Penn students, faculty, staff, our community. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Good. How how are you and your family doing during the pandemic? It is probably a day by day thing. <laughs> um, I mean, generally we're very very lucky. Um, we haven't had any major health issues in our family. Um, we're lucky that our jobs allow us to work remote. Yeah. So we have been working from home on Zoom calls for twelve to fourteen hours a day. That's the hardest part, isn't yes, it? Yes. Yes. Um, but I I feel bad complaining because we are so fortunate that we're able to do that. Um, our kids have been in school, so um, we're. We're very fortunate, but um, so it's how, definitely different. How old are your children? You have two children. Yes, five and eight. Five and eight, and they're both in virtual classes. Well, part of the time. So okay. the oldest is in a hybrid model where he goes live to school half of the day, and then he goes to a daycare the other half of the okay. day. And then the youngest is in preschool, so he goes full five days a week in person, so which that's is nice. Good. They're out of the house, yeah. <laughs> they're out of the house so you could do your Zoom calls and be focused. And they're also getting socialization, which is such an important aspect of being a kid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's been my number one concern, just making sure they have things to look forward to and socialization. And it was hard because in March, right when this happened a year ago, they were fully virtual until Oof, June. So right. they were just you know, in the house with us while right. we're working and trying to figure it all out. And then in the fall, they went back kind of full time. But then with the schools, it was kind of closed for two months over the holidays. And yeah. then with snow days, and then, you know, there's always oh, days where, you know, they need to quarantine. So it's kind of day by day. I think this is the first week where they will have been out five days in a row. So And the sun's so, shining and it's a nicer week. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's good to hear. So were you in New York City when the country went on lockdown or were you? We were, okay. yeah. And um, I travel a lot for business um, before COVID. Sure. And so I was, I think by January of last year, I had been on 10 flights by the end of January. And oh, I was boy. continuing that kind of travel schedule until March. 
And I had traveled, um, I think March 6th was the last time I was on a plane. Sounds and then right. I was in the office, and I remember we were all in the office on the Thursday before everything kind of shut down. And we were all in this conference room kind of saying, should we even be doing this? You know, this feels weird. And then <laughs> by that weekend, the New York City public school oh, system man. shut, and that was kind of our cue to leave the city. Um, and we came here, and we've been here since then. Wow. So that's that's a huge adjustment for you and your family. What for you professionally has been the hardest part about being virtual, especially since you are someone who traveled so frequently? So what's been the most challenging? And then on the flip side, what's been the benefit? Yeah. So I think the challenge is just adjusting. I've gone my entire career um, in consulting where I'm used to traveling to see my clients, traveling to see my team members, or being in the office with my team. Right. And so just in one day, basically, switching from a, a very in-person model to a completely virtual model was challenging just to, one, learn the technology, yeah. and two, learn to do things virtually. But it's so interesting. Within a week, like, we were, we were moving forward, and we figured it out. And it's crazy how resilient our team members have been and how – we can do so many things virtually that we didn't realize we could do right, virtually right. that it really will develop what the future of work will look like going forward in a way that I think will benefit a lot of people. Because like you said, there's pros and cons and the benefits of working from home. I mean, every morning I wake up and I have my cup of coffee in bed and I watch the news. <laughs> I never had that yeah, opportunity before. True. can work out every day. The right. time that I don't spend commuting, um, since I'm not traveling, I have dinner with my family every night. So right. there's so many benefits that I'm grateful for what we've learned from the experience. That's, that's such a good insight. And a lot of people have said that, right? So in a year that was so turbulent, we also were able to be with our families more. We were able to do things for ourselves more that were often cut out because of long commutes. Mm -hmm. um, now, you have such a huge client base, and you have how many employees report to you? It's a crazy number. You have like roughly 400. 400 employees. And so, how in a virtual world do you manage? all of those employees? Like, how do you check in with them? How do you have accountability measures? Because that's something that a lot of business leaders are struggling with. Yeah, I think it's really taking a step back and thinking about what your span of control is. And obviously, I can't check in with 400 people sure, individually sure. every day. Um, so what we've created is kind of family trees, where each person's family tree includes about 10 to 15 people. Okay. And then that person's responsible for checking in with them, you know, every two weeks or so on Zoom just to make sure that they're okay. And a lot of what we do is collaborative. So, you know, we're basically back-to-back 30-minute -back calls every day with different team members. And usually on those 30-minute calls, we'll spend the first five to 10 minutes just checking in. Yeah. And it's really allowed us to connect with people more. Right. You know, some people that I would just work with maybe once a month, I'm now on calls with probably a couple times a week and I'm seeing them. And you get to know people because you, you see inside their house, you see their dogs, you see their kids. Right. And it's just a different kind of connection that you're able to make virtually. So it's been good. That's a really good insight as well. And I'm curious because you mentioned something that a lot of, a lot of companies are talking about. What do you think is a lesson that you've learned and just your company in general during the pandemic that you might take with you moving forward? 
Yeah, I think that there's just a lot more that could be done virtually that we had done in person. It wasn't unusual for me to get on a six-hour flight to Seattle for a one-hour business <laughs> meeting crazy. and then fly back. So yeah. it's basically, you know, 36 hours for a one-hour meeting. And money. Yeah, cost. absolutely. And the fact that we can do so much more virtually, I mean, we've gotten really great at collaborating through tools like Zoom where mm -hmm. we can whiteboard and we can go into different breakout rooms and even events where we would, you know, have wine tasting that can be done virtually, too. And so our clients right. love if we, you know, send bottles of wine to them for tasting and do a virtual wine tasting that interesting, everyone can do from the comfort of their own home. So it's been so neat to see the different innovative ways that we've learned to connect with people virtually. I love that. And that's that's so true. I think about industries like yours where travel has been such a huge part of it. Now that you know, you can have effective meetings virtually you maybe don't have to do that so much. It gives you a little bit more of that work-life balance. Absolutely, so yeah. So that's, that's great to hear. Okay, so I want to start the podcast by just telling our listeners a little bit about where you work right now, your current job, the company you work for, and, and what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Sure, yeah. So I have been with Deloitte Tax for roughly five years. It is one of the largest professional service firms in the world. Our office is headquartered in New York City, so that is the office that I report to, but the firm has offices all across the country. We have an office in Harrisburg, yeah. um, so um, part of my team sits in Harrisburg. There's a few Central Penn grads on the team that I saw that. I That's remarkable. On. Yeah, yeah. So it's really great, and um, what I have always done is consulting, specifically tax consulting. Mm -hmm. And um, we work with clients around the country on tax issues. Okay. So let's rewind 18, 19 years ago when you were enrolled at Central Penn. Now we're, we're going to walk through your career a little bit, but you grew up in Anvil in mm -hmm. Lebanon County. You graduated from, is it Anvil Cleona High School? Yes. Okay. And then you chose Central Penn College because at the time you were interested in pursuing a career in law enforcement criminal justice. Talk a little bit about that initial career motivation. What was it that made you gravitate towards CJ? Yeah, so it sounds kind of silly, but I loved watching Forensic Files and I shows believe like that. that. That was a motivation for a lot of students at that time. Yeah, and so I just thought it was interesting. Um, I also like the criminal psychology aspect of that potential profession. And so when I was in high school, I took a half-day course my senior year on criminal justice and just the legal aspect of everything. And so when I took that course, I realized, you know, I probably liked the legal aspect or the psychology aspect more so than other aspects. Okay. Um, so when I got the criminal justice degree throughout the course of time, you know, from the beginning to the end, I realized I definitely wanted to go more so down the, the legal path. Right. And so you opted to earn an associate in paralegal yes. studies. And you wanted to be able to get a job while you were in school to pursue your bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Talk about where you landed, um, what initial opportunities that resulted in. So when you were studying here. Yeah. So when I was pursuing my associate's degree, 
I looked at a number of opportunities for my internship related to my paralegal studies degree. And um, the one that jumped out to me was the family-owned business opportunity um, at Focus Business Solutions, where um, really at that time the firm had done a number of things, not just tax law, but more so general legal issues. We did some probate law and um, some Mm -hmm. public utility law. So really just it was a wide variety of things, and I liked the opportunity to kind of see many different aspects of the law. And so when I did that internship, it resulted in a full-time position where I did that full-time and then continued to pursue my bachelor's degree at night. Which is incredible. And and you really are like the poster child of a Central Penn College student. You know, the majority of our students are working at least part-time and have to take a variety of types of classes to be able to pursue their degree. Were you, you were an in-person student? Were you an evening student? Did you take online courses? I'm just curious about the mix. Yeah, so I was an evening student okay. and I took as many online courses as possible, but there was, I believe, a requirement that you had to do a certain At amount of time. Live. there was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, worked full-time, um, you know, nine to five at my job. And then I came to class at night or did my studies online. And then at one point, I actually got another job on the weekends um, working in retail around the holidays because I wanted a discount at the store. But um, yeah, so I was, yeah, I had the full time (laughs) job, the part time retail job, and then I was going to school as well. So for our students that are doing that, and there's a lot, how did you balance, and I hate to use that word because it's really impossible to balance. You never fully achieve that. I I like the term work-life integration, but that (laughs) often comes as you mature in a job. But when you're first starting out, how how did you find time for school? I always found pockets of time that fit within my day nicely. So for me, I would spend my hour lunch break studying every day. And then At the time, I usually stayed up pretty late, so I would do my studying at night. And then I actually tried to keep my weekends clear because me personally, I'd rather work really hard for, you know, a defined period of time and then completely disconnect for a few days. I'm the same way. Yeah, so I would, um, you know, work all day, study over my lunch break, do my classes at night. I didn't have classes every night, so there were a few nights where I could get caught up. And then if I needed to when I got home or, you know – when I was doing my schooling, I would I would go till maybe 11 or 12 at night when I needed to. But it, I found it very manageable with the hour lunch break and then a few hours at night. I was able to achieve it pretty comfortably and then have my weekends free. We will continue with the interview in a moment, but first... For the past year, Central Penn College graduates have been on the front lines keeping America safe and our economy operating during one of the most challenging moments in our nation's history. Central Penn College Knights are entrepreneurs and restaurateurs navigating uncertainty, legal professionals and attorneys defending rights and seeking justice. They're corrections officers and police officers, EMTs and firefighters responding to tragedy and providing hope. They have worked to keep grocery stores open, and they are working to innovate in the emerging remote economy. They are medical professionals administering tests, vaccines, and care in some of the most challenging moments of our life. We salute our Knights Nation for their resilience, bravery, and determination to keep America going. 
If you are an alum and have a Night Nation story of resilience and determination, we want to hear from you. Email us at letusknow at centralpen.edu. That's letusknow at centralpen.edu, where you can send us a story about how you are determined to come out on the other side of this pandemic stronger and better than ever. But it sounds like you're a very organized person, and that might have been a part of how you were able to do so much at once was really time management. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's still true to this day. Every week I sit down probably for an hour and map out exactly what I want to do with my blocks of time. And, you know, then I have a to-do list as well within those blocks of time. And I try to make it very achievable where what I do on most days is actually work on to-do items from for the following day because I try to make my list so achievable that if I can, I work on something for the next day to stay ahead. You know what's interesting? So you're, you know, you're one of the, I think you're our fifth podcast maybe interview that we've had. At least two other people have had a similar strategy for how they manage their time, like having the block of time, making the lists, going back and checking their list, but they start their day really looking at their calendar, what they have Mm -hmm. to achieve that day and what they have to do that day. So that's interesting. There's a theme there. Um, Listeners, take that advice because now we've heard from three very successful people that all do the same type of thing. So that's really interesting. Um, I love this. You shifted gears, so to speak, from what you originally sought out to do and into the field that you're in now. And a lot of people find that very difficult to do, especially when you are a planner. And you, to me, seem like someone who likes to plan. Mm -hmm. I recognize that because I have the same quality. So when you have a very clear plan of what you like to do, you were happy where you were. You were happy at FBS. You realized law, specifically tax law, not law enforcement, was what you were more passionate about. How hard was it for you to alter plans or to think about doing something that maybe wasn't your original path? I'm always thinking five steps ahead. So even though something's not my original path, I always in my mind have what think what could are the possibilities of where this could lead. And so I always feel like you have to be ready for opportunities that could potentially present themselves. So in my mind, I always thought, wow, if if we did a great job with this, what would the next level be? And I always thought it'd be interesting to, you know, I've always been kind of the big fish in a small pond here in central Pennsylvania. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat to try to take this to the next level and see, could I make this can I make it in New York City? Right. And so it was always in my mind that that's something that I'd like to do. So when the opportunity presented itself, in my mind, I was already thinking about what the next step would be. So that's that's a huge adjustment. And we're going to get into the adjustment of switching and moving from a local area to a large city. But when you're making that kind of decision and you have that sort of decision-making process, what are the factors that come into it for you? So you're, you're proactive, you're visualizing what you could possibly have in the future. When it comes down to actually pulling the trigger and saying, I'm going to do something totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, do you consult certain people? Do you have mentors in your life that you lean on? Do you talk to your family or your friends? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I received so many different perspectives of people <laughs> who thought it was a fantastic idea and people who thought I was crazy. Yep. And typically, I, I would be concerned if I didn't have people who thought one of my decisions was crazy. Um, <laughs> because there's some aspect of just the unknown that... I think you have to step into to grow. Right. And so I always think if I'm not feeling challenged with something I'm doing each day, if I'm not doing something that 
puts me in an uncomfortable area, then I'm not challenging myself enough. So the fact that I was presented with an opportunity that made me very uncomfortable showed growth. And so I was excited about it. So I'm glad you brought that up. Literally, my next question, I'm, I'm quoting you. You were our cover story in our Pendulum magazine. It's our college's alumni magazine. And you were being interviewed. And in that story, you said, each day I continue to do something outside of my comfort zone. It keeps me engaged and fulfilled. So it's obviously a motto, whether you realized it or not, that you truly live by. Absolutely. So what are some, um, give us a few examples in your early career or even in college where that applied. Sure. Well, this is really silly, but driving here as an 18-year-old, it was a 45-minute drive. Yeah. I was absolutely terrified to drive here by myself. I know that sounds silly, but I no, felt it doesn't. I felt so accomplished when I arrived in one piece. Um, <laughs> dressing professionally, I remember how uncomfortable I was with that um, at Central Penn, yeah. just because I, you know, I. I didn't know how to dress in suits, so I remember I bought this bright pink suit, and I walked in like Elle Woods, and everyone's <laughs> looking at me like, who does this woman think she is? And so learning how to dress professionally was something that was un- outside of my comfort zone. You know, when when I began here and just kind of dove right into the legal studies program and, and doing legal writing very early on in college, that was uncomfortable, but... I'm so glad I did it because then by the time I got to law school, I was very comfortable with that. Every, every point of my journey, there has been something that's been uncomfortable for me. I remember when I first started in my career as a paralegal, when I was you know, working during the day and going to Central Penn at night, I had to go to the court to make filings and I, I didn't know where to park. I didn't know yeah. where to go. Um, I remember you know, I had to bring it into one, one office to get stamped. I brought it to the wrong office and I was going to like three different buildings in the Capitol. I didn't know what I was doing. That was really uncomfortable. So after I did enough of that, I, I, I learned my way. But just the, the little things, you don't appreciate how difficult it is oh, for yeah. someone brand new. Yeah. No, I, I think that's an excellent point. And those are all things out of your comfort zone, especially when you're doing it for the first time. And I think a lot of people get so overwhelmed in that moment that it's easy to step away from it, mm-hmm. right? And it's not until you start doing those things regularly that you begin to feel comfortable. Right. Um, would you describe yourself as a fearless person or are you just a calculated risk taker? <laughs> um, I would say probably a little bit of both. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm fearless because I absolutely feel the fear and I love feeling the fear because that's how I grow. But I'm not afraid. I don't fear the fear. Understood. I love that. I don't fear the fear. You're aware of it. You embrace it because you know it's going to push you to a new to a new limit. Absolutely. Excellent. And you're a big proponent of lifelong learning because Absolutely. after Central Penn, you earned your JD from Widener while attending in the evening. Talk about some of the things you've learned in terms of self-study. Why is it so important for you to stay engaged in education? I think that there's so much to learn. And, you know, even in my career, we continue to learn. Um, I do a lot of reading. Things are changing so much. And if, if you're not a lifelong learner, you know, even even today with all the new technology we had to learn and all of the new ways of doing business, it's you need to continue learning to stay relevant. 
do your do your kids ever I mean do they remember well so you were they were little when you were studying I mean were you a parent at that point or did you become a parent after I became a parent after okay so you're so you became a parent once you were already employed and you were working full-time even though you were working full-time when you were in college as well but do your kids ever ask you about your career or do they ask you questions about working do they show any interest in anything that you do like how do you share that with them yeah, I would say not yet. Um, they They're did, little. Yes, they do find Zoom calls very interesting, <laughs> and they've Zoom bombed me numerous times. I was going to say, have they appeared in some of your meetings? Absolutely. Yeah. They at, Very early in the pandemic, they um, had a little white erase board that they would write things on and come behind me, oh, and so, which was very humiliating, some of the things they were writing, but <laughs> it was fun. I mean, people appreciated just seeing kids. But um, yeah, I, I they know that their parents work very hard and they do ask questions sometimes like, how did you get your job? Um, right, they just asked right. that the other night. And so it's interesting to share with them my journey to kind of instill that in them very early of how they can be successful. I, I love that you talk about being a parent and your kids being around, especially in the beginning with the Zoom calls. There are so many professional working men and women. And women in particular have had a hard time through the pandemic because they're often the caretaker of the family. And so to suddenly have your kids at home with you all of the time and you're trying to be on your calls and you're trying to be professional, how do you manage the stress of that? Yeah. So it was a new stress that I didn't even realize was one that I would need to learn to manage. Yeah, um, I know. But I think it's really important to um, be very transparent with your partner about what is necessary. Right. And so when we were all at home, my husband and I sat down in the morning and said, basically, you know, whose call is more important and right. who can be who can be Zoom bombed by the kids and who can't. Right. And <laughs> right. So, um, you know, it was kind of a free for all for a little bit. But yeah. I think that, you know, we tried our best. I mean, there are people today that still have kids at home that are managing this still. And I I honestly don't know how they do it. I know people that I've spoken to have, you know, some people have had to leave the workforce. Some people have had to come up with alternative childcare arrangements. Um, So it's just, it's very, very individualized, I think, for what works for each person. And, you know, professionally, we realize we're all in this together. And I know when I'm on calls and with clients and colleagues, I don't care if I see kids screaming, no. you know, I think kids, we've all gotten pets. down to it. Yeah. We have, we have a vice president here. <laughs> She'll kill me for mentioning this, but if you've ever been on a call with Dr. Krista Wolf, she has two dogs and a cat and her cat loves to walk in front of the camera anytime <laughs> she's on. And it's, it's gotten to a point where we all just laugh about it and say, Oh, there's Grayson. You know, we all, we all kind of laugh. And I think you're right. I think people have eased off that no one's uptight about it. We all know we're struggling with this, the same things. Um, Last question about the pandemic, and then we'll talk next time about being a business owner, moving to the city, about some parenting advice. But any suggestions or tips for people that are still working from home, even if it's part time in terms of your office space and how you organize your space? Yeah, so I think it's important to keep your office space separate from your everyday living space so that when you you know, quote unquote, go to work, yeah. you feel like you're in a separate area than your living space just to provide some sort of separation. That's what's been really helpful That's for great me. advice. 
That's great advice. All right, Kirsten Galata, thank you so much. Next time we talk about being a business owner, moving to New York City, some parenting advice, and then we'll end with our rapid response. Thanks. listening to today's episode of The Bridge. Next time we speak with Kirsten, we will dive into the culture change from living in central PA to moving to New York City with two children, as well as how being a business owner changed her life. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Fitzgerald-Williams. See you next time on The Bridge. Today's episode of The Bridge is brought to you by Central Penn College. Central Penn College offers career-focused programs that enable our students to transform their lives by landing jobs in their chosen profession. To learn more about investing in your career with Central Penn, visit us at www.centralpenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bridge, hosted by Central Penn College President Linda Fadrizi-Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a great rating on your favorite podcast service. The Bridge is available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes of The Bridge, stories of resilience, courage, and innovation with Dr. Linda Fadrizi-Williams. We'll see you next time.